Hello, and welcome back to NRI Woman, the show where we share the amazing stories of women of Indian origin living across the world. We hope in sharing these stories you are inspired, learn something new, or simply know you're not alone in the struggles you face. I'm Nanora. And I'm Bettina. And hey, listeners, if this is the first time you're listening to our show or are a returning listener, but you haven't subscribed, please can we ask you to subscribe, rate and comment so others may find the show just like you did. Today, we've got someone very cool on the show, Sharan Anil, our first NRI man. He's not your typical artsy guy. He's a motivational speaker, poet and artist. Sharan paints using a technique called action art. Where the paint doesn't follow the usual rules, it's more like a fun chaos of dribbles, splashes and smears on the canvas. He uses a remote toy car to create his art, not because he wants to do it differently, but because that's the only way he can. Sharan is creating and doing all this while dealing with decamuscular dystrophy, a condition that severely affects the muscles in one's body. This episode isn't just about spotlighting someone who's differently abled. It's about opening up a conversation. How often do us neurotypicals stop and think about how those different from us want to be seen and treated? Our first impression of Sharan? Shy, a bit hesitant, but courageous enough to share not just the struggles of living with muscular dystrophy, but also tackling the big questions about life, love and purpose. A little note. Some of the audio is not very clear as Sharan uses a speaking device to talk. That, however, does not take away from his story. And we start at the beginning when Sharan was a little child and realized something was not quite right. The symptoms started from six, seven. I, uh, I could not climb. I could not climb the bus uh, like, uh, like everyone else. I used to climb up on my knees. And when I used to get up on the floor, I was a little slow. That was when I noticed something was wrong. I could not run. I had a cycle with me, but I never sat on it. I used to just hold it and move around with the cycle, but I never sat on it even once. I kept having falls. I kept, I kept spraining my ankles. So one day I had, uh, one day I had a fall, and then, then it kept happening. It kept it. like every six months I had a fall, and then for for three months I could not walk properly. So then finally he went to the GP and then he said he said he had muscular dystrophy. And uh, at that time he didn't know what is it and so we went for numerous tests and blood tests and then and everything which was supposed to be done. We went to this this clinic, that clinic. And then and then when we were in Bangalore, then then, then the doctors told us uh, there's no cure for it, so there's no cure. Only at that time, it's the only you can do physiotherapy. Physiotherapy is the only thing what uh, what will help you. At that time, I didn't know about all this. A few years back, I had another recording. Uh, Mom had recorded it. I remember the doctors. They asked me to wait outside, and she went inside. And there were a few doctors were there uh, sitting on the table. I could not hear, but I stood outside, and then I thought to myself, "What is? Is this something wrong with me? What is? Uh, what is it that? What is it that I am not? I am not being made aware of? At that time, I was nine years old, so, so 
So I, I, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know that it could, if it would keep happening or uh, I would keep getting worse. So I walked. I, I, I could do everything. I could do everything. What, uh, what the other children did. But then gradually, I, I saw myself, saw myself getting weaker. I, I walk differently. I used to sit differently. I used to walk with the support of the wall, and uh, everything became a challenge. Everything became a challenge to get ready uh, to go to school every morning. It used to be a struggle. Living with Decker muscular dystrophy means facing daily challenges that many may take for granted. This condition affects the muscles, making them progressively weaker over time. Simple tasks like walking, lifting objects, feeding yourself, or even getting up from a chair can be increasingly difficult. Imagine trying to navigate a world where your muscles tire quickly and can't support your body as they should. While the degree of difficulty varies from person to person, the impact is pervasive, influencing everything from personal independence to social interactions. Let's take a moment to step into Sharan's shoes of when he got the news of his diagnosis at the tender age of nine. Can you imagine it? Confusion, maybe a bit of fear, and probably that glimmer of hope that things might just get better. The heaviness of realizing it's not a quick fix that it may not get better but worse over time. This information may not have fully hit Sharan or his parents at that point. The fact is that it's not just Sharan riding this roller coaster. It's a family affair. Medical conditions don't just tap one person on the shoulder. They waltz into the lives of everyone around. Parents become the unsung heroes grappling with the weight of it all for their children. It's a reality check that goes beyond the doctor's office. It's a new normal for everyone involved, shaping their days in ways they've never expected. And it took a while for everyone to come to terms with Sharan's diagnosis. For some, longer than others. Since my legs started getting heavier, even my you know, eyes started getting bigger. And I went from nine. So my, my dad said, he told my mom, maybe, maybe you're feeding too much. That's why he's getting bigger. But my legs started getting heavier. The muscular dystrophy, uh, the legs started getting heavier. And then my lower body was uh, slightly bigger. And uh, that's why it was uh, difficult uh, to walk. And then, and then my dad said, he told, told him, maybe you're feeling angry, that's why. That's why it's getting bigger, you cannot walk up to And it, it was uh, quite, it took, took many years for him to accept me the way I was. It was hard again, my grandfather said, that he will be okay, he will be okay. And then my grandmother didn't accept it for a long, long time. She kept saying nasty things to me and my mom about it, but then then they got to a point she stopped about it. Sharon had to deal with so many complex emotions. Fear of the unknown, grief for the life he envisioned, and the daunting realization that simple tasks are no longer simple. In this emotional tornado, the support of family becomes paramount. Yet, as he discovered, acceptance is not always universal. Some family members struggle to comprehend the gravity of the condition, 
and that was an additional thing that he had to overcome. There is no blame towards those family members who might struggle to understand. Everyone does what they can with what they know. It's in reaching the realization that change begins with us that we learn and grow. Sharan's story is a powerful reminder that in the face of challenges, acceptance and growth are not just individual journeys but collective ones where compassion and understanding play key roles. For Sharan and his family, finding a new normal became a journey of trial and error. The rhythm of daily life had to be rediscovered, and even then, nothing could be taken for granted, as each day brought the potential for new obstacles, and the biggest one came in 2018. So we had a surgery in uh, 2018 in August, and that surgery, so that surgery had to be done because I had uh, pneumonia and And I was taken to hospital uh, when I was unconscious. Uh, while I slept, while I slept on twenty seventh of July, uh, in the evening I had slept for a while. And at six o'clock, my mom came and she saw me. I was, uh, I was gasping for breath, and I was, I was in a deep sleep, but but I couldn't, I didn't open my eyes. She tried to call me and. So she tried waking up, but I didn't wake up. So she, so she went upstairs. There was a nurse in the building, and she called her and she came and checked. She said my pulse was very low, and we need to call the ambulance. So she called the ambulance, and then they took me in. So they took me to Dubai Hospital. And for two nights, I was, I was, I was, oh, I didn't know what was happening. Uh, I was unconscious. And I woke up on the second night. Then I saw. All the machines around me, I saw. I saw my family around me, and they. I didn't know what was happening. At that time, I was still speaking. I was still speaking. I spoke. They added. They put an oxygen tube in my nose, and so then I asked my mom, "What is? What is all this? Why am I here?" Last time, everything was well. I was sleeping. All was fine the way it was. Then, then she didn't say anything. She said. She said, uh, "You'll be okay. You'll be okay." And then, then I fell asleep. I could not keep awake. Then they, they intubated me. The doctors intubated me. They wanted to see that if I can keep awake without without having to ventilate. So they intubated me, and they saw that. So how was my breathing? And they checked in the machine. So when they tried to remove it, then they removed the ventilator. They saw I was unable to breathe. They saw I could not keep my eyes open. And they told me uh, to keep awake so that they could uh, they could see if I could uh, keep awake and see uh, throughout the night throughout the night how I could control the control my breath. And they tried, but they could not. They saw that I could not uh, I could not do the ventilator. So on 7th of August they decided uh, the doctors are taking. Commission and they, they said we have to go for tracheostomy surgery, where they insert a 12 centimeter tube in the airway. So, so looking back, that I would not be able to speak. But they did not say that how long would it take or what, or what would be the next step. They said we just have to go ahead with the surgery, and I would not be able to speak. I wouldn't be able to eat. 
and they said about speaking about eating and then uh, this is one thing is that if you have a surgery if it's done then then you wouldn't have to worry about getting a cold because uh, through the uh, through the tube in my throat they were able to remove the fluid and all the uh, from my lungs so that in case I had a cough or something instead of uh, trying to spit it out to the pump so they would remove it uh, with the suction machine and uh, everything was okay they put the tube in uh, to the tube they connected the ventilator and that helped me to breathe it was a very different feeling than uh, breathing normally so for two days three days uh, I was in a lot of pain and I could not sleep and 24 hours I was connected to the ventilator and the feeling was uh, it was very really hard to express what happened and I I slept for most of the day and then the doctors came and then, then my mom asked them will you be able to talk ever he said depending depending on how he recovers depending on his strength we'll see if he's able to speak so then they, they introduced us to to speaking device a speaking device which they're using right now those were some of the most challenging moments in Sharon's life. First being confined to a wheelchair and then losing the ability to express. It's almost impossible for us to imagine what it must have been like. Did Sharon feel like giving up? Yeah, there, there were more moments. A uh, night when I couldn't sleep, I was put on the ventilator. Uh, I felt like a machine. I just put it on and put it off. I said, without this, I'm gone. So uh, what would happen now, what would go, uh, what would happen now? Is there anything else that would go much wrong than this? Okay, maybe that's the end. And at that moment when I was, when I was very low, at that moment I was, because, because I could not see anything else. I could only see entering a dark tunnel inside and I could not see any opening there. I felt this way on and on. I didn't actually say anything. I just saw my grandfather and uh, uh, whenever he came to me, he said, you will be okay, you will be okay. And then, no, I just saw everyone and saw the support I got and saw all the all the, the, the visits that everyone came and they, I saw how much, how much of support I was given, how much of love I was given. So, uh, that gave me the strength actually to come back to, to be here where yeah, after so much, so many months, a lot of struggle and uh, a lot of dark moments that I came back and so when you're in the hospital uh, you need uh, you need a familiar face to be around even though even though if it's for a few moments but but that face reminds us that we are still wanted it helps us to realize that we all need people around us Sharan's touching on something fundamental isn't he in the core of our being, we all long for connections that run deep. It's about knowing that someone's out there that cares, that our existence matters, and that there are profound desire for a soul outside the immediate family circle, that person with whom you can share the rawest emotion, forging a bond of lifelong companionship. Does Sharan believe he can find that person, that deep emotional connection? 
So it's not a very easy question to answer it straight away. I always thought that uh, why would I ever want uh, any girl to come and come and get stuck with me and you know seeing seeing my life, seeing the challenges I have and uh, why would I want someone else to come and get deprived of, of something what what they can get with another man? Uh, why would I want to spoil someone else's life? It's hard to accept someone when they are different but but we can learn from everyone. Yeah. Uh, every one of us can teach us something something valuable. For all for for, for all of uh, like everyone like everyone deserves to have love, you know. Whether it's because everywhere we see you know the species we see and everything we see it's all like every every human being is looking for love. And it can come in many ways. So we all that's what every soul is looking for. They're looking to be loved, looking to be accepted. While Sharon may not actively be pursuing romantic love at the moment, his life is woven with threads of love from his tight-knit circle of family and friends. Their unwavering support is the foundation from which he draws strength. Within the circle, Sharon has discovered a profound sense of purpose and a mission to change the world. There were times when, when I used to go to my father's office and, and there, there were no ramps for me to access the footpath. So I used to, I had, I used to take a picture of the place and I sent it to RT and I told them that there is no enough, there is not a proper reach access for me on this path. So if uh, if it's possible, if, if there could be some access made. So then, so I received a response. I received a response immediately and within a month or two months then I got a call from RT and they said they said we are they received your email and we and we want to inform you that that the reach access is being made and it will be uh, it should be ready on so and so date. And then the next when I went after a few days it was done and I was on stage one day I had given a speech for all tired motors for all tired. I was on stage and with my friend James. That moment when when I gave the speech, it was my best was my best speech. It was not a speech, the uh, was asking me questions and I was answering to them. And I think the answers I gave was precise and to the point. That moment when I I was on stage, everyone gave, gave me a standing ovation. I said, maybe this is what I am. And that moment was uh, was very emotional. It was an emotional moment. And I never very well remember it. Imagine this. Sharan stands in front of a crowd and they're all clapping and cheering for him. It's like a big, warm hug of appreciation. In that moment, he realizes why he's here. Not just because he uses a wheelchair or deals with muscular dystrophy, but because he keeps going, no matter what. Sharan has achieved a lot, but there's something he really wishes for. Even though his dad takes care of his basic needs, Sharan longs for more. 
He just hopes that one day he and his dad can do things together, share moments. It's a bit like a missing puzzle in his story. And by sharing this, Sharan isn't just talking about himself. He's hoping that if a parent hears the story, maybe they'll think about doing things a bit different with their child. Maybe to spend more time and uh, to fly kites with him. I like flying kites. Even though there were days that he, he came along, so there were days which he used to not saying he was not that way. There were days we went to that. He was a support group and uh, that's, that's all I would say. Maybe I would want, I want him to come and see, see my painting, see my exhibition. I do tell him, but then sometimes he says I have work. And I, I do send him, I send him the message of the exhibition, I send him the invites and also. Now I say it's okay. I I can only do my best. Rest is up to him. Well, but I still send him the pictures. I still send him where I'm going, what's happening. Let's say that if your if, uh, if your child is is not up to your expectations, you just let him. You just let him. Let him do what he can do best. And do not, do not expect that my son can be this. My son can be what I want him to be. Not that if, if he's doing a he's doing a particular job or we want my son to do this. Obviously, every father would want the best son to come up in life. But if, but if that child has a disability, or the child is slightly different. You would not want to. You would not want to say things to him that you feel that that he is not uh, what he is not what you want him to be. Sharon's story would be incomplete without talking about a few people in his life. One is his mother. She's the superhero in his life, always there, making everything better. When things get tough, she's the one cheering him on, giving him a big hug of support. It's not just about taking care of the practical stuff. She's there with a ton of love and encouragement. She's the one who believes in him no matter what. And there are a couple other people that Sharon wants to talk about. In 2015, in March, we had gone to Singapore. It was because of my sister, Amrita, that we had gone. That was my first trip going out. Going outside Dubai and India. It was a nice holiday, and, uh, and Singapore was very accessible. And that was the first holiday we had. And then uh, there are some moments we have, uh, some good moments we have had. That she, she used to tell us this place is good. You can go there, have a meal, have dinner, or any. Then when we had the event, Russell came up. We stayed at a resort. And that was all because of her. So we had another woman. There was a nurse who came to me. His name was Nuruddin. Nuruddin. He he's been he's been a great friend to me. And he's spoken to me about about all the things and he's spoken about 
what is the soul what is you know about life is came with strength and showed me what is what is important and what is the things that will will make a difference to me and we have a disagreements and we have a lot of disagreements he fires me i fire him so we both have our days and but it's okay it's our end of the day makes me happy each of our lives is like a big storybook with lots of different stories the ones we pay attention to shape how we see the world and ourselves for sharan this choice is a deep personal one rooted in the belief that emphasizes the positive and has the transformative power of guiding him through the ups and downs of life with strength and confidence in the first moment first moment when i sat on my electric chair in 2012 I got it for my 28th birthday, 29 January 2012. I still remember the day. I got it standard after my birthday. The moment I sat on it, and I went out, I was very happy. I didn't know that having an electric chair would would make so much of a difference to my life. So that moment I will always remember. And the second moment is when uh, when I took part. Uh, I was a solo artist at Sika Art Fair in 2018, in March 2018. That was another moment which I always remember in my life. And I had given live demonstrations, not and the third, third happiest memory I remember is when I uh, when I stood up when I stood up for Gurusha's 50th birthday. That will always be. Despite the challenges and complexities in his journey, Sharan holds on to gratitude like a cherished treasure. Whether it's the unwavering support of his mum, family, and friends, the joy of special memories, or the resilience that fuels his artistic spirit, he finds reasons to appreciate the threads of positivity woven into his life. Even when things are really tough, Sharan shows us that saying thanks and recognizing the good things. reminds us that no matter how hard it gets there's always room to see and be thankful for the good stuff there are many things to be grateful uh, when i look around feeling grateful for the oxygen that we all are breathing because i struggled for it now in hospital and and i noticed that that is one thing that You know, you can take away everything. You can live without everything. You cannot live without oxygen. So I think the only thing which all of us should be grateful for is oxygen. Because when the oxygen is taken away, uh, and our feet, so that's the thing we should all be grateful to. Then can come the sunshine, the the wind, everything. I want to be remembered for my smile, for for the for the little bit of humor sometimes I have. And that's the first thing that comes to mind when we think of Sharan: his coy smile, the hint of naughtiness in his eyes, and his selfless spirit that does not want to trouble another, even if he's in discomfort. No matter who we are, we all want to be noticed and included. It's the little stuff that counts, like sitting down to chat with someone in a wheelchair at eye level. asking them their thoughts and opinions and including them in our happy or sad moments 
Understanding others is a process of growing. The responsibility of navigating the intricate landscape of understanding others begins with us. On one hand, our world is a kaleidoscope of diversity and the pace of its evolution is both rapid and relentless. And the other, we find ourselves best placed where resources, information and human connection are more accessible than ever. The key to unlocking this understanding lies in our willingness to ask questions and to listen with genuine openness. The process just isn't about acquiring knowledge. It's about embodying a mindset that fosters growth, choosing empathy over sympathy, and embracing countless other facets that contribute to a more inclusive understanding. Albert Schweitzer once said, Sometimes our lights go out, but it's blown again into instant flame by an encounter with another human being. Sharon shows us that in our everyday lives, simple acts of kindness and inclusion have the power to ignite a flame in someone's heart. And that, right there, is the true difference. A ripple of positivity that can transform the world around us. I'm Batena. And I'm Nanora. Thank you for joining us today. And we hope you'll join us again for our episode next week. We can be found at www.nriwoman.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just look for NRI Woman. If you or someone you know has a story to share, please get in touch with us at hello at nriwoman.com or tweet us at nri underscore woman. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NRI Woman Podcast. Please help us spread the stories of these amazing women by sharing it with your family and friends. You can find the details to connect with the guests in our show notes. NRI Woman episodes come out every Thursday, so make sure you subscribe. Until next time, keep learning, keep inspiring, and always be kind.